Good morning. Welcome to morning worship at First Church in New Knoxville. We're glad that you're with us this morning. If you're a guest or visitor, we're welcome and we're glad that you join our service today and all those listening on the radio this morning. Welcome to the Lord's Day. Just a few items to note in the bulletin. Uh, The roses on the altar this morning are in honor of two couples celebrating wedding anniversary of over 50 years. Congratulations to Jerry and Judy Holscher, who will celebrate 52 years on March the 4th, and Dennis and Joan Henschen, who will celebrate 54 years on March the 5th. So if you see them, we'll congratulate them. Just a reminder, this week is our Ash Wednesday service, which begins at 7.30 p.m. There are no other activities that will be scheduled for that evening. Also, the Blue Jug is on the steps again to... For the missionary Peter Franz, Peter was here last Sunday and shared with us about his ongoing work in Turkey. And I'd like to invite Pastor Joel forward to talk about his summer series on hard questions. Thanks, Aaron. Yeah, I just want to, I alluded to this new sermon series a couple weeks ago in one of my sermons, I believe, but I just wanted to take a moment and, and just remind you all about what we are planning on talking about this summer during the sermon series. Uh, there's a little bit in the newsletter this, that went out this week as well. Uh, I know there's sometimes a lot of questions we have about faith, uh, questions about uh, what it means to live out our faith, questions about the Bible itself, or questions about how our faith interacts with the world around us or even other faiths. And so I want to give us an opportunity as a church to really dive into those questions together. And so this summer we're planning on, I'm planning on doing a sermon series on tough questions. And I hope the questions come from you as, as the church. Uh, and so uh, we're beginning now to collect those. There's going to be a box with some paper slips over here at the info center by the custodian's office. Um, you can also email or text me questions if that is uh, if that works for you. Uh, but I hope to hear from you, and I hope to hear from you in the coming months, so that as the summer approaches, we can pre- I can prepare and and put together the series that addresses some of the questions that you have and. I want to just take a moment to encourage you, too, because the question you may have, it may be something that another person wants to know, but they might not be uh, willing to ask it themselves. So don't be afraid to to put your question out there, um, because there's a good chance that someone else may be wondering the same thing as well. Uh, My goal for this, my hope is that we can just learn to dive into God's word together and see what it has to say to us about these tough questions and how we can truly live out our faith together and be more Christ-like in our lives. And so uh, if you have any questions, you you can begin to submit them now. And in the coming months, we'll be collecting those and putting together something. So uh, don't be afraid. Uh, It's good to ask questions and it's good to engage scripture with, with all aspects of our life and faith. So let's do that together this summer. Thank you, Pastor Joel. We'll continue with this morning's call to worship, which is taken from Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 34. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap, they have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, 
which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows what you need, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not fail, where no thief comes in and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, if you please rise and join us in singing hymn number two, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. You'll take a moment to greet your neighbor as the children come forward for the morning's children chat with Maria Lammers. Good morning. Good morning. Wow, that was pretty weak. Are you guys really awake this morning? I am. You are? I could have slept for another hour. You could have slept for another hour? Me too. <laughs> All right, well, you know, sometimes big people ask me, where do I get my ideas for children's chat? And you know what? Today I can honestly say it came from God. You remember Wednesday morning at preschool when we had Bible time? And I said, I'm just going to open up my Bible and whatever Bible story I open up to, that's what we're going to read today? Well, that's the same Bible story we're doing because it works really well with our topic today. So we're going to go with it. All right. So I opened up to a story about a future king. Okay, and I just want to read a little bit at the beginning of 
from my children's Bible here so that we can get into it, so we can talk about it. King Saul had a strong army. He won many battles against the Philistines, but then he stopped obeying God. God did not want Saul to be king anymore. God told Samuel to go to Bethlehem to the house of Jesse, and there he would find a new king. Now, Jesse had many sons. The oldest one was tall and handsome. He must be the one who God wants, Samuel thought. But God said, he isn't the one I've chosen. People judge others by what they look like. But I judge people by what's in their hearts. The next son was not the one either, nor the next or the next. And Jesse had seven sons that he brought before Samuel. Don't you have any more sons, Samuel asked. And Jesse answered, yes, my youngest son, David, is out taking care of the sheep. He's the one, God said to Samuel. Samuel gave David a special blessing, and one day David would be a king. So I want to go back to the oldest son. How did they describe the oldest son? Tall, dark, and handsome. Don't you think a tall, dark, and handsome guy would make a good king? Yeah? (laughs) Connor. (laughs) Connor thinks he's tall, dark, and handsome, and he would make a good king someday. (laughs) So, could be. We never know. But, God replied. He said, he said, it's not what you look like on the outside, but I judge people what's in their heart. So, does it matter what's on the outside? No, it matters what's on the inside. We want what's on the inside to be what's important, okay? Because that's who we are. So how do we how do we how do we make what's on the inside good? How do we work at being that good person from the inside out? How do we do that? Prayer to God. <clears throat> Prayer is a good part of it. Yep. What about What about how we act? What could we do to show other people that we're good from the inside? What could we do? Um, Help them. How? How are you going to help them? Like help clean up with them. Help clean up. That's always a good start. Help mom clean out the dishwasher. Yes, yes. Like when you and a friend both want the same thing and you or the friend give in and let the other one have it. That's that's showing good things from the inside. Helping others, okay? Using nice words. That's a big part of showing what's on the inside. Keeping our hands and feet to ourselves sometimes when we get really frustrated. That's another way. When we're playing a sport, helping the other person up after they've fallen down. That shows the goodness that's on the inside of us. Okay? And so that's what we have to remember. We all look at the outside of everybody. And we think, huh, not too bad looking. Or, wow, did you see them? They need a haircut. <laughs> or, or maybe they need to stop eating so many cookies. Huh? Well, so sometimes... It's what's on the inside that we need to look for, because it's on the inside that really counts, not so much what's on the outside, right? So let's pray about that. Dear Heavenly Father, 
Thank you for these children. Thank you that we are forming from the inside out, that we are learning that what's on the inside is more important than what's on the outside, because on the inside is where Jesus is, and we want everyone to see that Jesus is in our heart. In his name we pray. Amen. Lost in our service in San Diego, Engineman Third Class Benjamin A. Brunner, 19, from Vincent Town, New Jersey. Good morning. This time, before we go to the Lord in prayer, let's sing about our need to seek Him out first. Uh, let's sing number 42 together. I invite you to stand and join us. you may be seated. Father, we ask that you would give us a heart, give us a mind that is, that is after you first and foremost. Help us to seek out your kingdom before everything else. Lord, when we do that, when we have that as our first priority, you promise to provide all that we need. Uh, Lord, it may not be what we want or what we expect, uh, but Lord, you promise to provide what we need in those moments. We thank you for your care and your provision that, that uh, Lord, goes according to your will and not our own. Lord, you have uh, proven your, your faithfulness to us over and over again. And so this morning we, we pause and we praise you for your goodness and your faithfulness towards us, Lord. You've, you've answered our prayers over and over again, Lord, not, again, according to our will, but according to yours. And we acknowledge, Lord, looking back on, on our lives and looking back on the history of this church and this community, and looking back on the history of your people and your word. Lord, you've always been good, and you've always been gracious, and you've always worked according to your will, which is ultimately what's best for us. And so, Lord, we, with that in mind, with your faithfulness at the center of our thoughts, we come before you and ask for your continued blessing and your continued provision in our lives. Lord, there's many needs that are represented here in this church, uh, those that are listening on the radio and, and we ask, Lord, um, you who know all things, who are aware of, of all of our needs, who knows even the number of hairs on our head, that you would meet our needs according to your will through Christ and the presence of your Holy Spirit in this world. Lord, we ask for healing where it's needed. We lift up those who are in, in need of, of material provision. We ask that you would provide, Lord, in miraculous and, and also mundane ways. 
And we ask, Lord, uh, for those that are, are struggling with, with less tangible things, whether it's relationships, whether it's problems at work, whether it's uh, family issues, Lord, that, that no one else really knows about or is aware of, we ask that you would work in and through those situations as well. Lord, your word testifies over and over again that you hear the cries of your people, that as we lift up our voices together to you, you will hear and you will respond. And so we ask that you would do that this morning, like, uh, like you have for so many uh, throughout the ages. You are a good and faithful God, and that is who we uh, honor and praise this morning. We pray all these things in the name of Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward at this time. Our offering this morning goes to support the general fund here at the church.
Good morning. Our scripture reading today comes from Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children of their, for their sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of your Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor the animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, Sam. Lord, we come to you this morning uh, with open hearts and open minds. We ask that you would uh, teach us from your words so that we may know you better, uh, that we may uh, know what your will is for our lives and how we can better live that out for ourselves. Thank you for the gift of your word, which points us ultimately to your son, Jesus Christ, and his death and his resurrection, Lord, uh, and the free gift of eternal life that you've made available to us. We pray this now in Christ's name. Amen. As I was preparing, uh, as I've been preparing for this, this series here, uh, I've been reading a couple books that have kind of helped me uh, kind of think through some of these topics. And, and one of the books, the chapter I was reading this week about You Shall Not Covet posed, posed a question uh, that has kind of stuck with me. And I want to share that with you. It's actually the first question in your uh, in the discussion questions that are in the bulletin. If you happen to look at those during the week, uh, the question goes like this. If I only had blank then I'd be happy. What's that blank for you, right? What is, how would you fill in that blank and, and why, right? Maybe it's a bigger house, a better job, uh, more money, um, different church. I don't know. I don't know. Hopefully that's not the case. Um, but what is it? What is that thing that you want that you think is going to finally bring you happiness, that's finally going to bring you joy, I want to challenge you to think that that whatever that blank is 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 uh, easily can become I should say an idol in your life because if you think that one thing that's missing is finally going to make you happy your your focus your attention is going to be on that one thing instead of where it belongs which is on the Lord now it's not a bad thing to dream or it's not a bad thing to to have those those sorts of desires for for better things. It's when you allow those things to control or consume you that you cross over in that territory from from simple wants or desires to covetousness. 
Uh, Allie and I have had this conversation plenty of times, right? What would you do if you won the lottery, right? How, how would you spend that money? Um, you know, we, and we've talked about all the wonderful things we'd like to do, all the things that we would like to, to buy or to do with that money, the kind of thing, the way that it would change our lives. You know, it's not a bad thing always to, to dream about those things. I do have to say that we don't actually play the lottery, so it's never going to happen, but our odds of winning are only slightly worse than yours. Um, <laughs> You know, but we can all still dream. The problem is, though, when we allow those things, like I said, to consume us. Because if we think that one day, if we just have that thing, whatever it is, we're finally going to be happy, that's going to, the problem is we may one day achieve that thing and find out that it won't truly bring us happiness. There's a quote that's widely attributed to Jim Carrey on the internet, so I don't know if he actually ever said it or not, but I, I, but I couldn't find a source or anything like that, but the quote itself is still, I think, helpful no matter who may have said it. It says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they could see that it's not the answer. You know, think about that. We, how often do we tell ourselves, if only I achieved that thing, if I only had that blank in my life, then I'd finally be happy and, and everything would work out perfectly. Well, there's someone, if, if in fact he did say this quote, who has achieved those things, who has seen all the money in the world, all the fame, all the success, and yet he found out that it still did not bring him that true joy and that happiness that he was looking for. I think really at the core of, of this 10th commandment is that uh, is that discontentment, the longing for a better life that we think will finally satisfy us. Now, I mentioned a couple weeks ago when I talked about thou shalt not steal, there's that, that number eight and number ten here are very closely connected, right? Don't steal and don't covet are very similar. And so a couple weeks ago, we talked a lot about the actual act of stealing. Don't take things that don't belong to you. Today, we're going to be talking about really the motivation, the heart behind it. Uh, because ultimately that obedience is a matter of the heart. We think that we can fulfill, you know, commandments number six through nine uh, on a surface level. And we've talked about that in the last few weeks. You know, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. In a sense, we can we can say, yeah, I'm good in those areas. I have fulfilled my obligation. But number 10 then brings it to a whole nother level. Don't covet. Yeah, try, try not to do that, right? Use all your willpower in the world to try to not want something that you don't have. None of us can possibly pull that off because, because covetousness is a matter of the heart. And that is something that is oftentimes beyond our control. And when we allow things like greed and envy and jealousy in, it then poisons our heart. And then leads to all sorts of other misdeeds and sins that, that, um, that greed and envy and jealousy are the root of. The reality is our, our motivations really do matter. The, the, the condition of our heart, not just our actions, is important to God. You know, Maria shared a great, a great uh, passage this morning during children's chat to, to back up that point. You know, we can look good on the outside. We can have it all together on the outside. But if our heart's not in the right place, we're still missing the point. God wants our hearts to be focused on Him and, and uh, our desires to be focused on Him. And uh, when that is not the case, we're, we're falling short of His will for our lives. So I mentioned before, coveting here really is concerned about discontentment. And I want to dig into that a little bit more uh, this morning and how we can battle that in our own lives. So 
I, I do want to start off by saying, though, that desire itself isn't a bad thing. There's a, other faiths, other religions out there that will tell you that, that desire is wrong, that in order to truly be happy, you need to get rid of all desire. You need to get rid of all longing or want for material possessions or anything that this world has to offer. And to truly be happy, to truly find joy and contentment, you need to rid yourself of all of those things. And then you'll find happiness. Uh, but that's not what the Christian faith says. In fact, the Bible is pretty clear that desire is a good thing. It's good to have a desire for things that you should have a desire for. For example, uh, it's good for a husband to have a desire for his wife or a wife to have a desire for her husband. It's good to desire a job that you can use to provide for your family. It's good to desire material possessions in order to provide for others, whether that's within your family or maybe even in the community, in order to be a blessing to them. It's good to desire uh, healthy and fulfilling friendships and relationships that go beyond just the family ties that we often have. It's good to, to desire those things. The problem with our desires, though, is that we often desire the wrong things or we desire the right things in the wrong ways. And those desires then uh, lead to coveting things that, we, uh, that don't belong to us. Augustine and uh, talked over and over again, uh, St. Augustine, who lived uh, around 300 uh, A.D., if I remember off the top of my head, uh, talked about how our, our loves or our desires are disordered. God has given us these desires in order to help us pursue him and know him. The problem is we love ourselves more than we love God or we love ourselves more than we love others. And so our, our, that desire to love is good. It's just pointed in the wrong direction. Or we love our material possessions more than we love other people. We love the bottom line of our bank account more than we love other people. And so we allow those good desires that are pointed in wrong directions to then motivate us to do things that are not in line with God's will. And so look at this passage from Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. Uh, And think about the things that are listed here. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Right. You know, that last part really sums it up. Anything else that belongs to your neighbor. What the what the concern here is, you know, it's not it's not just the stuff. It's not about having their things, but it's really about living their life. What you're doing when you covet your neighbor's possessions is you're you're saying, "I, I wish I wish that was my life. I wish I could be like that other person. If I was like them, then I would finally be happy. In other words, my life isn't good enough to bring me joy or contentment. It's a song from my my youth, I remember, uh, by a band called Three Doors Down called Be Like That. And the, the chorus goes, if I could be like that, I would give anything just to live one day in their shoes. And how many of us have said that before? How many of us have said, man, I wish I could just be like that other person? I wish I could have their job. I wish I could have their family. I wish I could have their house or just their life, right? I wish I could just live one day in their shoes. That at its heart is what coveting is all about. It's about jealousy and envy that creep in and and begin to twist our thoughts and twist our desires in wrong directions. Like I said, it's good to desire good things, but we often desire things that we aren't intended to have. And that's where we get in trouble. We often find ourselves comparing, we often compare ourselves with other people. And when we do that, it's always going to lead to discontentment. Because no matter how 
rich or healthy or beautiful or strong you are, there's always going to be someone who has more of that. There's always going to be someone smarter than you. There's always going to be someone more beautiful than you. There's always going to be someone richer than you. And so, and so you're never going to be satisfied. You're never going to be content with what you have if you're always comparing yourself with others. Like the saying goes, the grass is always greener on the other side, right? We always think that some other situation, some other circumstance would be better than the one we find ourselves in. And that's always going to lead down that road to jealousy and envy and discontentment. There's another, uh, another aspect here that's important for us to note too, and that's greed and how greed affects our hearts and our motivations. Now, just like desire itself is not bad, money itself is not bad either. Money is neutral. It's neither good nor bad. It's, it's a resource. There's nothing wrong with having lots of money. There's nothing wrong with having no money, right? There's, that's not um, a sin in and of itself. Money does not carry any intrinsic moral value. So whether you have a lot or you have none of it, um, you can still be a good person, right? And, and still love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. The problem, however, that the Bible points out is not money, it's the love of money. And we see that in 1 Timothy Chapter 6, verse 10. Paul writes, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And that's an important distinction. The love of money, is another, greed is another way to say the love of money. And that is the root of all kinds of evil. Many people fall into dangerous traps and and harm themselves or their families or other people because their ultimate pursuit is more and more money, right? Greed can destroy us and greed leads to uh, coveting other people's possessions or other people's um, lives. The problem is that with with money and, and when our desire is to have more of it, more will never be enough. It never satisfies. It never, we never get to a point where we've, we've had enough. We're always going to want more and more and more of that thing, whether it's money or whether it's um, some other sort of material uh, possession. If that is our sole purpose and, and that's where we're deriving our sole sense of worth or joy, then it's never going to be enough for us. And so how do you battle discontentment? How do you battle coveting? It's through having contentment, through having joy in our lives. And I do want to take a moment to distinguish the difference between happiness and joy. Because I believe a lot of money is going to bring you a lot of happiness, but it's not going to last, will it? Happiness is temporary. It's circumstantial. It's external. It's based on your circumstances. So when you have something that brings you happiness, it's going to be there for a time until maybe that runs out or you get bored with it or your circumstances change. The reality is there's a lot of stuff in our lives that is completely and totally out of our control. And sometimes we are, and many times I should say, we're affected by those things. And so our happiness then may be affected and will be affected by circumstances that we have no say over whatsoever. And so if our pursuit is simply after being happy, that's going to come and go from day to day. Right? Some days we're going to be happy and some days we're not. And if that is what our focus is, you can see how much of a roller coaster life can be. Instead, I want to encourage us to think about 
joy and pursue joy. Now, joy is, may look like happiness at times, but it is something that is much more foundational than mere happiness. Joy is eternal. It doesn't come and go, but it is something that is with you forever, for all time. And joy doesn't come from our circumstances. It doesn't come from how much money we have to spend on things. It doesn't come from how big our house is. Joy ultimately comes from Christ and knowing Him. It comes from being completely and, and totally satisfied with our relationship with Christ, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. And joy is internal while happiness is external. So, so happiness is something you can, you can see. You can tell if someone's having a good day or a bad day just by looking at them, right? But joy is something that, that, that is foundational on the inside. It's internal. It comes from within. And it comes from that relationship with Christ that, that can never be taken away. And so I want to encourage us to the way that we battle uh, this 10th commandment, the way that we fight against coveting other people's uh, possessions and other people's lives is being truly joyful ourselves. Not a fake, uh, superficial happiness, but true joy and contentment that comes only from knowing Christ. And so I want to I walk you through what that looks like a little bit more this morning. Contentment ultimately comes from Christ. I've already talked about that. And the reason why that is, can be our only true source of joy and contentment is because it's the one thing that can never be taken away from us. In Romans 8, Paul talks about the love of Christ. Uh, in Romans 8, I want to begin in verse 35 through the end of the chapter. Paul asks this rhetorical question. He says, what or excuse me, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, there's nothing in this life that we could possibly go through that can separate us from the love that we, the love that we experience in and through our relationship with Christ. That can never be taken away. We can lose all of our money. We can lose our jobs. We can lose our families. We can lose our health. Everything in this world can be taken away from us. And if our joy and our happiness is, is found only in those things, then that can be taken away from us too. But our joy, if it's in Christ, is something that will last forever and can never be taken away because there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Paul in the early church was writing to, to Christians who, who, who knew what suffering was like. This quotation is from a psalm that, that referenced how God's people in the Old Testament also experienced suffering and they knew what that was like. And he said, even for you who are going through hardships, who are going through persecution, who are going through, through suffering, even that is not enough to separate you from the love of Christ. And so no matter what we go through, we know that our joy, our contentment can sustain any challenge, any difficulty because it's founded in Christ. You see, we were made to know Him. We were made to be in relationship with Him. And so it's only in Him and through Him that we can find true joy. 
I mentioned St. Augustine earlier, and one of his most famous works was called Confessions, almost like a self, or excuse me, an autobiography of, of his faith. At the very beginning, I want to read two quotes from that book for you that, that point uh, us to this reality. Uh, in, in the very first book, in the very first chapter, he says, uh, To praise thee is the wish of a man who is but a part of your creation. Uh, thou dost bestir him so that he takes delight in praising thee. And here it is, for thou hast made us for thee, and our heart is unquiet until it finds its rest in thee. In other words, we were made to know God. We were made to love him and be in relationship with him. And nothing in this world is going to satisfy us like God can. Our hearts are going to be restless. Our hearts are going to be unquiet until they finally find their rest in him. And then later on in his confessions in book 10, he says, There is a joy which is not given to the wicked, but rather to those who serve thee for thine own sake. For your people, you yourself are joy. And this is the happy life, to rejoice in you and and to rejoice from you and on account of you. That is it, and there is no other. In other words, that's true joy is knowing Christ and rejoicing in him and praising him and knowing him. And there is no other joy. There is no greater joy than that. And so we need to know Christ. We need to have that relationship in order to find that true contentment and joy. And when we do so, we'll discover that that contentment can last through any circumstance. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, Paul talks about his own experience a little bit. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And here it is. This is the secret. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. You know, we like to take Philippians 4.13 out of context, right? We like to talk about how we can do whatever we want. God is going to give us the power to succeed because we can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But the point of the verse, the reason that the, the, the context that, that this verse is in is actually about Paul's contentment. It's about his ability to find joy and purpose and meaning in whatever situation he finds himself in. And it's because he can, he's able to do so because of Christ, because of the strength and the endurance that he provides. True contentment is possible because, because of Christ, because of our joy in him. And like I said already, that, that lasts beyond any circumstances that we may face. In Hebrews chapter 13, the author there reminds us of what contentment looks like as well. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. It says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Again, that, the reason we can be content in those situations, the reason we can find joy no matter what we face is because of the promise that God makes that he will never leave us nor forsake us. That he will see us through whatever difficulty we face in this life. 
And he will, he will see to it, not in our own strength, but in his. And so we, our contentment comes from Christ. We can be content in any circumstance. And, it, and in and through our contentment, we see that, that we need to then pursue godliness as well. It's, it's not just enough to not want or not desire other things. It's not enough to just avoid those bad desires, but we should also align our desires in the way that they should be. In other words, it's not enough to just turn away from our sin, but we need to also turn towards Christ. And in doing so, we'll find our joy and our contentment will grow with that. I read already from 1 Timothy chapter 6. I want to read you a little bit more from that same passage that dealt with the love of money. I'm going to read verses 6 through 10 now. Paul writes, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So really, again, again, the context there is, is Paul is encouraging us that godliness with contentment is great gain. In other words, as we find our contentment in Christ, then we are able to grow in our knowledge and love of Him and we'll become more and more like Him through our lives. Our decisions, our actions, our thoughts will begin to reflect Christ more and more. To put another way in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But those who delight in the law of the Lord and who meditate on his law day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yield its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. There's true joy. There's true contentment. I love that picture of a tree by a, by a, a river. Right? No matter what circumstances it faces, no matter what kind of weather or, or, or any external factors that it's, that it's facing, those roots are sunk in deep and can draw what it needs from that river. Right? And so no matter, no matter if there's a drought, no matter if there's a storm, no matter what's going on, that tree is going to be, per, uh, going to be preserved because of the, the deep roots and the foundation that it has. The same is true for us as we find our joy and our contentment in Christ. Our call to worship reminded us this morning that we should store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. In other words, we should really, we should be pursuing things that, that are eternal. As I said before, there's nothing inherently wrong with money and having more, having less doesn't really matter in the long run. But whatever circumstance you find yourself in, whatever situation you're in, you need to, to honor God in and through it. Right? Store up yourselves treasures in heaven. Do things that la- will matter for eternity. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go into the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that the Lord has commanded us, us to do. Those are the things that matter. Those are the things that will last for eternity, and we should be about those things no matter what our circumstances. And finally, I want to encourage you with about contentment. Uh, one of the greatest weapons we can wield against discontentment, against coveting things, is being thankful pausing and intentionally thanking God for, for what He's done for us and the things that we have in our lives. Most people never truly stop and realize how blessed they truly are. 
And I believe the, we will become more content when we stop and intentionally take time to thank God for the things that He has done for us. It takes our minds off of other people and their stuff and puts it on Christ where it belongs. Really, this last commandment, number 10, is in a sense a summary of the Ten Commandments. And, and I say that because the Ten Commandments really are about loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves. We talked about that when we started this series. And we can't truly love our neighbor as ourselves if we are busy coveting their lives. If we want what they have and we're, and we're full of jealousy and envy towards them, we can't truly love them like God desires that we would. See, love is the fulfillment of these laws. Paul says that in Romans chapter 13. Love is the fulfillment of the laws. And so if we're, if we're coveting, if we're, if we're consumed by those desires that are pointed in the wrong directions, then we can't truly love them like God desires for us to do. And, and coveting other, other things is also incompatible with loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. When we covet, when we're discontent, we're, it's like we're, we're telling God that we're not truly happy with what he has already given us. We believe that he owes us more and that he is not big enough to provide what we truly need. Matthew chapter 6 talks a lot about worry, again, and in the, in the call to worship that we heard read this morning as well. You know, what good does worry do? Does it actually change things? Does it actually affect the outcome? No. Worry is, in a sense, saying to God, I don't really trust you with my life. I don't really trust you with my circumstances. And so I need to be consumed with worry myself because I think that's going to make a difference. And so when we, when we covet, when we're discontent, when we worry about our circumstances, like we're telling God, we don't truly trust you. We don't really love you enough to trust you. Closing, I want to just remind us what the purpose of these Ten Commandments have been. God has given us these commandments for a reason, and this one, like the others, serves that purpose. In the Heidelberg Catechism, question 115, it spells out the two reasons why God has given us these commandments. The question is, uh, no one in life can obey the Ten Commandments perfectly. Why then does God want them preached so pointedly? The answer is first, so that we no longer live so that the longer we live, the more we may come to know our sinfulness and the more eagerly look to Christ for forgiveness of sins and righteousness. So the first reason that God gives us these commandments, the reason why we've been spending so much time these past 10 weeks talking about them is so that we can be aware of our sin in order that we can receive his forgiveness. The Ten Commandments remind us that we, in fact, are not perfect, that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. And the more that we are aware of that, the more that we come to realize that, the more then we can come to acknowledge our need for Christ's forgiveness. The more we realize we truly need the grace that God extends to us through Christ. And so it's not meant to judge as a form of condemnation. It's not meant to judge us in such a way that we feel bad. We're not, it's not about beating ourselves down, but it's about recognizing our, our failures, recognizing our shortcomings so that we can turn towards Christ and receive his grace. And his righteousness. And the second is so that while praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, we may never stop striving to be renewed more and more after God's image until after this life we reach our goal, perfection. 
And so part of it is acknowledging our sin and acknowledging our shortcomings, but then we also, and receiving God's forgiveness, but then there's also that next step of saying, although I fall short and in response to the grace and forgiveness I've received from Christ, I'm going to, from this day forward, do my best to live them out. Not in my own strength, not in my own power, but through the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through me. We're going to want to read two quick passages here in closing. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, Paul writes, Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already achieved my goal, but I press on to take hold for that of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul himself admits, like, look, I haven't figured this all out. I don't have all the answers, but one thing I do know is that God has taken hold of me. His grace has transformed me. And so now my response is to, to strive to obtain what God has already freely given me in Christ, which is his righteousness. And so my closing prayer for you today comes from Psalm 139. And I, I, I've shared this with you before, but I think it's so important to go back to this over and over again. As we reflect on these last 10 weeks and the Ten Commandments, and especially this, this issue of the heart of coveting things that truly don't belong to us, we need to be willing to pray the final verses of Psalm 139 together to ourselves and ask God to, to help reveal those things in us that are not pleasing to him. So my prayer for us this morning is that, God, you would search me and you would know my heart. You would test me and you would know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. Amen. Let's stand, and in closing, let's sing number 366, I Surrender All.
And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. You may go in peace.